This morning's Bible reading is found in the second book of Samuel, chapter 23. 2 Samuel, chapter 23. If you've got one of the church Bibles, it's on page 330. Page 330. 2 Samuel, chapter 23. The, the last words of somebody can be very significant. Some famous last words are just flippant, but some can be very meaningful. Uh, so Winston Churchill, when he died at the age of 90, 90, just said, I'm bored with it all. Stan Laurel said, I'd rather be skiing. <laughs> but others were much more poignant. Uh, the footballer George Best, who, as we know, his life was ruined by alcohol, and he, he died as, uh, really, as a result at a relatively young age of his excessive drinking. And he simply said, don't die like me. Uh, the, uh, the pop legend uh, Bob Marley, at the height of his career, was taken with cancer at the age of only 36. And he said, money can't buy life. And going back a long way, Queen Elizabeth I, <coughs> in 1603, is rumoured to have said at the end of her life, all my possessions for a moment of, tr- of time. This morning, we come to the end of our series on King David. We're going to look at David's last words. Uh, not, if you read the scriptures, you see this isn't the absolute last thing he ever said, but it was his, last, his final sort of statement, not quite a will and testament, but just a, a poetical summary of his life. And uh, in a way, it begins in, in chapter 22. Uh, which is a wonderful psalm of praise, but it, it's, it's quite a lot there. But we're going to look at the beginning of chapter 23, just, just those first seven verses, where David, in just those few words, kind of sums up something about uh, his life. So I'm, I'm going to read uh, 2 Samuel, chapter 23, verses 1 to 7. These are the last words of David. The oracle of David son of Jesse, the oracle of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, Israel's singer of songs. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me, his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke, the rock of Israel said to me, when one rules over men in righteousness, When he rules in the fear of God, he's like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings the grass from the earth. Is not my house right with God? Has he not made with me an everlasting covenant, arranged and secured in every part? Will he not bring to fruition my salvation? And grant me my every desire. But evil men are all to be cast aside like thorns, which are not gathered with the, with the hand. Whoever touches thorns uses a tool of iron or the shaft of a spear. They are burned up where they lie. Lord, now as we turn to your word, please speak 
Please help me to say only what you want me to say. Help us all to hear and respond in a way that will delight you. For your name's sake. Amen. In these few words, David is summing up his life. It's described as an oracle, an inspired utterance. What can we learn about David from these few verses? Can we learn anything from him? Actually, quite a lot in just a few verses. I've just picked out four main points, uh, none of them too long. And the last one is the most surprising, but you have to wait for that one when we get to it. The first thing to say about this, we learn from these words, is that David was just an ordinary person. Because David became a great king, it's easy to forget he was just an ordinary guy, like us. So as we read these verses, because he was ordinary and ordinary, we're ordinary, uh, we, we can uh, expect that we're likely to find something that's helpful to us as we read this. Because David was just like us. And his God is our God. He was an ordinary person. He was the son of Jesse. He was actually from an obscure family. He was the youngest in the family. And in fact, he was almost forgotten, if you know the story, I think we, we covered this at the beginning of our series, about when Samuel came to anoint a new king to replace Saul, and they went through uh, all of Jesse's sons, and, and none of them seemed right to Samuel. They said, isn't there anybody else? And, and his dad said, oh, there's David, but he's, he's the youngest, he's just out with the sheep. He was completely forgotten and ignored. Maybe you feel like that sometimes. Uh, but... Uh, uh, it was, it was the lowest member of an obscure family. But, it says, he was exalted by the Most High. Notice, David didn't lift himself up. We see that, for example, as we looked at the way he, he related to Saul. And when he was on the run from, from, from King Saul, uh, without any justification... But when he was on the run, he had more than one opportunity uh, to kill Saul. And his, his, his followers urged him to do it. But David said no. It wasn't for him to lift himself up. He waited for God's time. And aren't we sometimes tempted to lift ourselves up? Maybe in our work, for those of us who still have to work for a living. Maybe among our friends and our reputation, our standing. Even in church, to want to lift ourselves up, to be recognised, to have a position. We feel we've got the ability, we, we, we deserve it. But that isn't God's way. And maybe some of us here in, in our, our different situations in life, today we might be feeling one way or another, we've been, we're undervalued, overlooked, unfairly treated. David could have felt like that. But like David, let's learn to wait for God. And in his good time, he will lift you up. The New Testament, James writes, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. In the same vein, Peter writes, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up 
in due time. And he will lift us up. Maybe not in the way that we plan, because God may have a better plan for us than than our plans. But one we know, if he's content to wait for the Lord, he will lift us up at the right time. And that's the first point. David was just an ordinary person, and God lifted him up. Secondly, God spoke through David. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through him, it says in verse 2. Words are powerful, aren't they? In the letter of James, chapter 3, he talks about the danger of words, the damage that words can do. But also the New Testament shows us that, that, that words can do great good. Words, even just our ordinary conversations. Uh, Colossians chapter 4 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Words can do good. The picture in the New Testament, very much, example, Ephesians chapter 4, is that, is that um, God wants to speak to us, to help other people, to encourage people. We're meant to build one another up by our words. So God wants to take us in our words, uh, and our words, not to do damage, but so we can be a blessing to each other and build each other up. Um, there's not usually any shortage of words here before the service or after the service. There are plenty of words where we can, we can encourage one another and build one another up. So God wants to speak through us. But don't we all struggle sometimes to find the words to say? The right words to comfort somebody. The right words to advise somebody. Maybe above all, the right words to share our faith. We struggle. But this passage teaches us that God wants to speak through us. That the same God who spoke through David can speak through us. He can put his word on our tongues. He knows we can't do it on our own. He knows, left to ourselves, we often struggle even to find an opportunity to speak. And then we so easily blow it. But God can speak through us, as he spoke through David. He wants us to speak. He wants us to encourage each other. He wants us to share our faith. So we can trust him that at the right time, with the right person, he will give us the words to say if we depend upon him and continually ask for his help. Of course, it's important that we're walking close to him. So when opportunities come along, we're not, sort of, we're not, we're not taken by surprise and we actually weren't really thinking about the Lord very much. But just listen to him, be open to him. One example of this for David, maybe for one or two of us, not, not for me certainly, but for some of us, he was a singer of songs. Um, I don't feel I'm gifted as a singer of songs, but David was. Some people nowadays are, aren't they? And of course for David, uh, first and foremost, we remember his psalms. Uh, out of the 150 psalms in, in the book of Psalms, at least 73 were written by David because that's just ascribed to him. He's thought probably quite a lot more than that. Those psalms that bear his name, he probably wrote more than that. And, and don't they still bless us today? Most of us who went round could say, oh, my favourite, so obviously we think of Psalm 23, but there are lots of other psalms that we, we can be blessed by. Psalm 103, for example, uh, <coughs> um, 
and, and uh, uh, some of the psalms in the, the 130, 130, 131 around there. The, oh, we've all got our favourites. We're blessed after all these centuries because God spoke through David. That's the second thing. First, he was an ordinary man and God raised him up. Secondly, God spoke through David. But third, God also spoke to David. And actually, this has to come first. Before God can use it to speak to others, which we've just been talking about, God first has to speak to us. So we've got something from him to share with other people. That's why when, that's why when situations arise, it doesn't do to have a, a sort of knee-jerk reaction where we just rush out, rush headlong into a situation. We first need to listen to what God wants to say to us and obey him so we can pass on to others what first we've heard from him. That's why it's so important to make time to pray and read the Bible. I know we say that so often here. But we're, we're all often forced forward, and it's just so vital. We need, day by day, to be spending quality time talking to God and listening to him as we read the Bible. And without that, we, we, we haven't got anything to say that's from God. So we need to be listening to God ourselves as we read the Bible, and then he'll give us the word, the opportunity to say. As God spoke to David... He told him all kinds of things. He taught him how to rule as a king. Even how to slay a giant. The challenges that David faced were incredible. They could easily have overwhelmed him. There was Goliath. There was the way that Saul was trying to kill him. And he was on the run. There were the Philistines attacking him. Uh, and then towards the end of the, these, these scriptures especially, there was his family. They could easily have been overwhelmed. But David's God was the God of Israel, the rock of Israel. And when we read about uh, uh, God, God as, as the rock, um, it reminds us, it's in, in verse... Um, verse uh, three? three, that looks like, yes. In capital letters as well, rock, that's it. Uh, it was the, the, the rock of Israel. When we think of a rock, we think of something solid. Uh, dependable a, a, a firm place to stand on a place of refuge a place of strength if you, if you know the book of Exodus uh, and, and Numbers even a place that, that sometimes water came from to refresh them all that, all in this God who David knew a God who was his strength his refuge his, the one who gave him refreshment and, and, and all he needed and you know David had his challenges. We also have challenges ourselves. Not sure whether our challenges are as big as David's, but they can be considerable. And like David, we can face the giants in our lives. Maybe it's people who seem so formidable. We, we don't tackle them. We're afraid of meeting them or, or even having conversation with them. We have, we have giants like that. Maybe we have people like Saul who really are out to get us in one way or another. Maybe we have the Philistines uh, on the attack, whether that's people or maybe just, just the evil one. And we all have family. And they can be a challenge. In all sorts of ways, we also face challenges. And, but, you know, David's God is our God. And if God could help David with, with 
Goliath and the Philistines and Saul and everything else, he can help us as well. He can be our refuge and our strength. So whatever you're facing right now, God is equal to it. He can be your help and strength, place of refuge, place of strength, place of refreshment, whatever you need, as he was for David. And finally, so we said David was an ordinary person, lifted up by God. God spoke through David, but first God had to speak to David. But here's the most surprising one. It says in verse 5, Is not my house right with God? David's saying he was right with God. Now what's surprising about that? Well, here's what's surprising. If you were here last week, you will have heard Ray telling us the terrible story of David and Bathsheba. How David committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed by being put in the front line of the army so that David could marry her. And that was dreadful. The final two verses of this, uh, this reading, verses 6 and 7, tell us what evil people deserve. So where does that leave David after what he did with Bathsheba and how he had her husband killed so he could marry her? And yet now, David is claiming to be right with God. How can that be? But for that matter... What about us? None of us will claim to be perfect. Far from it. We all do things wrong. We may well, may, well, may well have done some things in our lives that we're ashamed of. Some of us have been alive a long time. That's a long time to, to go through life and not make mistakes. And we all look back and have regrets and, oh, wish I hadn't done that. Wish I hadn't treated the person like that or said that, whatever it might be. We may all look back at some things we were ashamed of or, or, or trying when we failed to do the good that we should have done. And yet we're here this morning worshipping God as though we're right with God. How can that be? I think most of us already know the answer. It's all because of God's amazing forgiveness that Ray reminded us of last week. What David describes in verse 5 as God's everlasting covenant. What is this covenant? Covenant is just another word for agreement. Well, in a few minutes we're going to be sharing communion. Which reminds us that when we were totally lost, helpless, without any hope at all, Jesus died for us on the cross. He took our place, he endured the full punishment that was ours for our sin. We deserved it, he suffered it. And because of that, if anybody is truly sorry for what they've done, however bad, however prolonged, however serious, if anybody is truly sorry and they really turn from their sin and ask God's forgiveness he will forgive me will forgive us he will forgive you whatever it is 
because Jesus has paid for it. Jesus paid for everything. And not only that, not only does God forgive us, but he gives his Holy Spirit to make it possible for us <coughs> to live the Christian life. That's God's covenant with us. And it's a pretty firm covenant, it says in verse 5. It's arranged and secured in every part. A bit like a legal agreement that's watertight. And that's God's covenant with us. That's what God offers to us. It's not negotiable. It doesn't say, oh, there's another way you can do it. It's the only way. I wonder, have you accepted that covenant? Have you come to God and asked for his forgiveness? You confessed your sin, asked his forgiveness, and committed your life to him. Committed every part of your life to him. Do you still confess your sin day by day? Because we all still get it wrong sometimes, don't we? We still sin, we still fail. So day by day we come to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. It's no good as saying, I'm not that bad, I'll, I'll get to heaven somehow. That won't do. If you think that, you'll be lost forever. Maybe some of us here, I don't know, I can't judge. Maybe some of us here have never actually accepted God's offer, God's covenant. We thought we were good enough. But if we think that, we'll be lost forever. Our only hope it's a wonderful hope, but our only hope is to gladly accept what Jesus has done for us and give our lives to him. Recognise that the cross of Jesus is my only hope, your only hope, anybody's only hope, your only hope. Maybe even today for somebody, it'll be a day of decision where we finally recognise we need Jesus, we need his forgiveness and his new life. And if you're wondering about that, some of us here will be delighted to talk to you and help you. So, a conclusion. That's the end of the series that began mid-November, but here we are. And as we look back at this series and at this passage today, as we look at David, we see not a superman, but an ordinary man. As we look at him, we see an example for us, an ordinary person who acknowledged that he was only where he was because God had lifted him up. We see an example for us, an ordinary person who spoke, and in his case sang as well, words of encouragement to others, because God had first spoken to him. An ordinary person who took God's word seriously and lived by it, and in his dealings day by day, in his life, in his uh, position as king, he ruled in fear of God. I wonder whether we fear God. And finally, we see an ordinary person who did some terrible things. But God's mercy is so great that it even covered David's sins. And ours too, if we'll surrender to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we have the Bible to tell us about David's life. The good bits and the bad bits, the highs and the lows. Lord, you used him to do great things. 
Sometimes he did terrible things. But Lord, your mercy is sufficient even for that. For us, Lord, help us day by day just to walk humbly before you, to trust you if you want to lift us up in your time, in your way. Help us to read your word day by day. And Lord, please give us truths that we can share to help other people, to bless them in their times of need. And Lord, thank you for your mercy. Keep us uh, continually depending upon you for your forgiveness and seeking the help of your Holy Spirit to live lives that please you rather than grieving you. Day by day, for your name's sake. Amen. Before we take communion, we're going to uh, sing again uh, a, a song that, that just reminds us of the wonder of God's mercy. We come before God and we're so undeserving. We've, we've done so many things that are wrong. But this wonderful old hymn tells us, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. Of course, that's the Lord Jesus. So let's stand to sing. <laughs>